Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, the Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and technology and have some athletes on, and we've done all kinds of things uh, over the past 100-plus episodes. Uh, and we're going to delve into a new technology today. I'm Joe Favorito, hosting the show solo this week as Tom Richardson is off till sometime in mid-July, somewhere in Mexico, doing some self-healing and, and kind of feng shui things, so I'll do this on my own. Uh, and one of the things that many people are using to gain access to airports and stadia um, is an expedited system uh, of security. One of the best systems and one of the most comprehensive is CLEAR. And for those who don't know CLEAR right now, we're going to talk a little bit about that today and how CLEAR is going to continue to expand. And our guest is a loyal Cusp show listener, Ed O'Brien, the head of sports for CLEAR. So, Ed, thanks for joining us. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here, and hopefully we can uh, help you navigate this uh, solo mission without Tom. Yeah, I am. Um... I become a, actually Tom's become very adept at it. I don't know if I am, but anyway. <laughs> so um, you and I met at the leaders conference, um, and I was able to really, really quickly sign in, um, engage at Clear with Clear, and then I've had the opportunity to use it at multiple stadia, Shea, uh, Shea Stadium, City Field, and Yankee Stadium with really kind of an amazing user experience that, that expedited the process in a safe and secure way. So for those people who don't know, can you kind of give us the, the let's do this first, the CLEAR 101 model, what it is, how it works, what sure. the differences are, and then let's talk about how you got to CLEAR, which is also kind of an interesting story. So fire away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, for, for everybody out there who, who may not be familiar with um, who CLEAR is and what we do, uh, at the heart of what of who we are, we are a secure identity network. And what that basically allows you to do is identify typically that you are who you say you are. And what we use to do that is biometrics, right? And today we're using uh, fingerprint or iris scans, and then we'll be adding uh, facial recognition very shortly here in, in the in the short term. And what that allows you to do is, you know, we really believe in, in this day and age, whether you're, you're talking about the airports, which obviously – have been this way for a while where you need to, you know, you need to identify yourself before you walk in there, but that hasn't been the case um, in the past with, with sports stadiums. Uh, and just given all the safety and security concerns that are going on, we really believe that that's going to change. And so as we started to think about how we could piece together a really comprehensive and uh, compelling customer experience, biometrics really became that really, it, it basically handles two components, right? It handles the whole safety and security side by you positively validating that you are who you say you are. And then we work with our partners, whether that be airports or sports stadiums today, as well as some other verticals uh, that we're going to get into here in the near future that I can talk about. And the, the return to the customer is a faster experience, right? And so I can walk through two examples. Say if you're a, a customer of Clear, um, or if you're not, then you can sign up. As you said, it's a very easy enrollment process. You go to LaGuardia, you're flying Delta, uh, out of Terminal D, and if you're a Clear user, instead of going to the traditional TSA lines or the pre-check line, you would go to the Clear lane, and you would then be expedited past all those lines that back up uh, behind the security, like the, the the physical security components. You would validate with your biometrics, so fingerprint or iris scan, instead of showing your physical ID to a human being, scan your boarding pass, 
go through security and then you're on your way to your plane, right? So our whole, our value proposition there is basically curb to gate in under five minutes. And so it's really that consistency that we've built over the last eight years that the company has been around of providing, no matter if you're coming, you know, on a Saturday in the afternoon or a Monday morning, you're always going to know that you get through the lane quickly with clear. Um, how we got into sports is we, you know, as security was really becoming, um, you know, it was becoming a lot, the, the topic of security is becoming a lot more prevalent in sports stadiums, given the, just the, the world we live in today. Sports stadiums really started to look like airports with their security measures, and they were starting to have some of the same customer experience challenges uh, that come along with enhanced security, which is obviously needed. And so when we started to get into sports stadiums, it was actually the San Francisco Giants and the New York Yankees uh, and Colorado Rockies who were our first three partners and said, hey, listen, we see what you're doing at the airport. We're starting to have some of those same challenges. How can you help out and replicate that same fast, predictable experience at airports and bring that to the sports venues? And so that's what we started to do uh, with those folks. And now we're, we've built that up to, to 13 um, sports partners, uh, about to launch a few more here shortly. So we'll be up over 15 or 16 here in the near future. But again, you go up to Coors Field, you go to the main gate instead of going into the traditional security lines, you go to the clear lane, you walk right up, verify with your uh, fingerprint, you still go through the metal detector, but then you're in the stadium. You don't have to wait behind all those lines to back up behind security. So really what we're looking to do, um, and we starting with airports, sports stadiums, and then adding other verticals, is create that same predictable experience across many points of someone's life. So they know that whether they're going to an airport, a Mets game, maybe it's uh, an office building in the future or a hotel, you would know, you would mm. have that same experience of getting in, right? So it's all about taking your identity and then flipping it into all these touch points uh, throughout your life. And I can talk about some of the other ones we're getting into in sports, but um, that's the base of where we are today and how we kind of got there. Okay. And the technology is, is um, proprietary. You guys own it. There are obviously some other companies like TSA Pre who do things just at airports, but it's a yep. totally different system, correct? It's something that you guys own the back-end technology? Yeah. So Clear is a, we're a proprietary um, um, platform. You know, we, we own the entire platform. We, we, what we are is an actual identity network. We're not a hardware company, right? So we'll work with different um, hardware providers for the fingerprint reader or a facial recognition camera, right? That's, we don't create that. What we are is the backbone behind that and the identity network that you're tapping into to know that when your face pops up or you put your fingerprint down, that you're Joe and not Ed. And so that's really the backbone of what clear is. And the reason we built it that way is that we don't, we want to be hardware agnostic. So, you know, whatever comes up in the future, we'll be able to integrate into, but all of our customers and the consumers and the partners we're, we're with, we'll be able to plug into that new hardware and then leverage the, the backend identity of that, you know, secure known um, consumer. Got it. Um, one of the interesting things that I noticed at Stadia, which I hadn't seen, obviously you can't do at airports, is, is there a way to bring a friend with you when you come in or is it something that is just for myself? Yeah, so with with airports, you can you can bring uh, children in, so anybody 17 or under, um, at sports venues. And now this is venue by venue decision. They all all of our partners happen to follow the same guest policy today. Uh, but you can bring in one adult over 18, and then unlimited children, right? And the reason they do that is a couple of reasons. One, they want to be family friendly for folks that are bringing uh, their their children with them or nieces, nephews, whomever. Uh, and also they want to be um, friendly to the season ticket holders to a point where 
you know, maybe I have two tickets. I'm going to 40 baseball games a, a year and I'm bringing different people all the time and I don't want to wait for them to enroll. And so those folks can come through the lane with me. Um, in some cases, there could be different screening procedures uh, for those folks, but they all get to kind of come through the lane and don't have to, you know, wait in the line while their friend gets to, to speed through and get in faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, this is this is a new technology in a very new business in security that's only, you know, probably less than five or ten years old. But so, how how does someone who's worked in sports get to this point? So, why don't you kind of walk us through uh, the Ed career path as to how you sure. ended up uh, being the head of sports at Clear? Sure. So, um, <clears throat> starting so I went to the University of Maryland for college. I was actually a, a finance major. And all my internships are actually based in the finance space. I worked at, um, at Merrill Lynch was the last one I had it was my senior year. And I remember it was 2000 into 2001 when I graduated. And so the economy wasn't doing that great at the time. And I remember just sitting in, you know, my cube doing, doing my work and hearing a lot of the folks around me that were calling up and they were younger folks, 21, 22, 23, just out of college. And at the time, they were just shifting. It was it was private wealth management, and they were shifting from the broker term to the private wealth managers. Um, and I heard all these kids basically calling up and trying to have people invest their money with them. I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing all like the the feedback they're getting, which is mostly negative, right? Given that the the current state of the market, and I just said, you know, I kind of thought to myself that this really wasn't for me, and something maybe I could do for a couple of years, but didn't know if I'd enjoy it by the time I was 28 or 30 or 32. So, um, you know, I really kind of took a step back to think about what I wanted to do. And my first love has always been sports. Um, obviously it wasn't good enough to be a professional athlete. So what's the next best thing you go into the sports world, um, to try to work. And so I started out by, uh, working for a small company up in Boston that was run actually owned by Eric Wedge, who was a former baseball player for the Red Sox. And at the time he was actually the manager of the Cleveland Indians. Um, it was a company that started when he had played for the Red Sox. And basically what we did was ran, we owned a couple of facilities and ran youth athletic leagues, camps, clinics, all that type of stuff. Right. And so it was a good opportunity for me to get into sports at a very small company and kind of do everything from honestly field maintenance up until, you know, sales and marketing and trying to run a business from a P and L standpoint is about a six man business. So it was a really small, uh, you know, small family-owned business, so to speak, and allowed me to kind of get into sports, but also be able to kind of see a whole breadth of, um, you know, what it took to, to run a business. So it was really interesting for me. I was there for about three years, uh, and then I decided to move to New York. And um, it was one of those opportunities in life where you never know how things are going to come about. But I was actually, my boss uh, was having a poker tournament at his house. This was like at the height of Texas Hold'em being big and World Series of Poker on ESPN and all that. 2004 and I happened to sit next to a guy that worked at um, named Bart Manning who works at Major League Baseball Advanced Media and he was friends with my current boss and he's like I heard you're moving to New York Um, what are you doing for a job and I said I'm still looking here's where I've been interviewing and he said send me send me your resume and you know um, it was after that I went down and met with them and uh, worked at BAM MLB Advanced Media for about four years uh, on the MLB.TV side. So had a great opportunity to work there from 04 to 08, obviously a pretty young time in the, the company's history and got to see a lot of really cool and interesting cutting edge things. And uh, it was at that time, you know, I really 
I had my love of sports kind of satisfied with my job. And I also was able to mash that together with um, the technology side of things. So um, once I left BAM, I went on to work at a company called New Lion, which in case anybody isn't familiar, powers a lot of the back end of, uh, at the time, um, NFL, NBA, NHL, digital and uh, video streaming products, as well as about 150 colleges. And so I worked there for six years. Um, and at that time, I was just, you know, looking for a new opportunities, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And as I was doing my research, I knew who Clear was just because I used to go to Orlando a lot for work. Um, and they were down in the airport at the time. But at that time, this was about three years ago, we were only in 12 airports and uh, one sports stadium. So I started to do some research on them, found out what they were doing, um, starting to get into the sports space, and then started to talk to some folks about what, you know, what do you think about the possibilities of this? Have you heard of them? Um, was able to secure an interview with them. And, and um, you know, after that, I took the job as the head of sports to come try to work here and, uh, and build out our sports group from a, a larger perspective. So I've been here for about two and a half years um, and loving every minute of it and really excited about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the previous podcasts we had um, Bill Squires on and, and, you know, one of the yep. foremost experts on stadia security uh, and that was right around the time when it was acknowledged that Madison Square Garden was capturing facial recognition um, and where that data was going to be used and all the issues that, you know, people worry about the, their own data and their own images being captured. So how does that work with CLEAR? You talked a little bit about facial recognition yep. going forward. Um, and how do you allay the fear of the consumer that this is not falling into the wrong hands? Or the other side of it is, teams may or may not be using it for the right way. And, and the, the example I want to give as I just thought about it is there was a story about the World Cup that was in the New York Times where they were giving out um, you wore a badge into the stadium as to what company or what, what team you were representing, what company, what country you were there for. Uh, and there were actually documented cases of criminals being caught going in with X country because Interpol was running it through the computer and all their data was on this pad, badge that they were bringing in. So so is that a good thing, in your opinion? Is it a bad thing? And then how does CLEAR kind of allay the fears of the consumer that this is not going to fall into the wrong hands? Yeah, no, and it's obviously it's a great question, and one, you know, especially given um, the recent issues at, at Facebook that I think is it's brought up even more uh, and more just in the, the general public's eyes. And so from, from CLEAR's perspective, let's talk about from, from our standpoint, you know, we never sell or rent any of our member data, right? That's first and foremost, without a doubt. Number two is that the CLEAR program, um, which could be different from some of the other examples that you, you use, the CLEAR program is an opt-in program. So if someone doesn't want to be a part of the CLEAR uh, ecosystem, they don't have to be, right? And no one would ever be part of it without they themselves walking up to one of the machines that you referenced at the conference we met at and enrolling mm-hmm. themselves, right? And so, I think that that's one of the big ways that, you know, we obviously, we we put our name out there. We say we will never sell or rent our data, which we never will. But giving consumers that choice of saying, hey, if you want to enroll, it's totally up to you. And if you don't, that's totally fine. Um, but if you do, here's all the great value that you can derive from there. And it's, listen, it's one of those things where in this day and age, um, biometrics are becoming a little more commonplace, right? As people are starting to get into things such as facial, facial recognition on the iPhone, right? Um, people are being able to unlock their 
iPhone using facial recognition. So some of those uh, implementations have started to educate or make people a little more comfortable with what can and can't be done with biometrics. Whereas even two and a half years ago when I first started here, you know, one of the common questions we'd be out at one of our venues, say the Yankees, people were interested in signing up but wanted to little, learn a little bit more about what we were doing. And one of the first questions was, hey, why does why do the Yankees want my biometrics, right? And we said, well, yep. a couple of things. One, they don't, right? And, they'll ne- and they will never get it from us because we do not share biometric data with anybody, right? Um, that would never be shared with any of our partners. And, so, and the reason someone like the Yankees or any other team would partner with Clear is because we're a trusted brand and securing and protecting that on your mm-hmm. behalf, the consumer, right? And so that's really the position we take in the marketplace uh, is that we can be the trusted, secured warehouse that can then other folks can plug into, such as the Yankees, to provide these different experiences um, at their ballparks. And again, the, the opt-in piece we think is is critical because if people don't want to be part of it, they'll be totally understandable, and they they don't have to be. Got it. So so just to be clear, no pun intended, obviously. I'm sure that never yeah. happens. <laughs> never, never, um, never. So those those kind of opt-in systems, the the screener, the scanner is physically outside if anybody hasn't seen it, outside the line where you would then go through and then somebody tags your ticket. So ideally, that really does show, I would imagine, that the Mets and the Yankees, this is a system that, that is almost literally in the parking lot. It's not really you know, physically in the stadium, um, which I guess helps you know, physically allay that fear where it's not, you know, oh, there's a Yankees personnel person taking my data or collecting you know, the fact that I'm here. Um, but going forward, uh, I would imagine some of the things that you'd be able to use this for ease of use could potentially be in a stadia or in an arena, correct? I mean, isn't that kind of would that be kind of the next step for, you know, yeah. using your, your fingerprints or a retinal scan once you're in the stadia to, to do other things to kind of speed you along? Yeah, I mean our our whole vision, I'll talk about some of the, the, the items we're gonna launch here in the short term, but the, the entire the, the vision, and we'll just stick to sports for a second, Yeah, is that you would be able to walk into an arena or a stadium, and you would be able to do everything that you can currently do today, access, show your ticket, pay for merchandise, show an ID to purchase a beer. You'd be able to do all of that without ever pulling anything out of your wallet because you can link all of that back to your biometric, right? And we believe that's going to be one a safer and more secure way to do it, but also faster and easier for the fans, right? And if you think about it, one of the, from a speed perspective, one of the macro level problems that we um, are always trying to solve is that in this day and age, everybody wants everything immediately, instantaneously, no matter what it is, right? And even things that maybe used to take 15 seconds might seem too long to people now. And we think biometrics can help take some of those transactions down to a second or two, right? So, the, the two other um, avenues that we're getting into it in sports here shortly, and we'll have pilots in both of these areas out later this summer into the early fall, are one, biometric ticketing, and two, um, concessions. And by concessions, I mean age validation and payment. So um, mm. talk about ticketing first. Ticketing, you'd be – with biometric ticketing, you'd be able to link your clear account to um, your ticketing account for a specific team. And instead of pulling out a printed ticket or scanning a digital ticket out of the gates, when you go to verify with your fingerprints today or face in the future, we'd be able to make a call back to that ticketing system and say, all right, this is Ed. 
is Ed a clear member? Yes. Does Ed have tickets on file today for this game? Yes, done, go in, right? And so that's going to make it a much faster and simpler process because you would never have to pull anything out of your pocket uh, to, get into the, to get into the venue. That's obviously, you know, as you see with digital tickets today, there's still some challenges where people haven't downloaded them and they're trying to do it, you know, outside the stadium beforehand. Sometimes the Wi-Fi can be, can be tough or the cell coverage. And so this kind of negates all of that and allows people just to speed right in, tap of a finger or, you know, with their face. So that's, that's one is the digital t- or the biometric ticketing. The second piece is uh, concessions and when I say that age validation payment. So today when you walk up to purchase beers or even just concessions in general, with beers uh, obviously require age validation. You have to show a, a state ID. Then you have to process, then you have to give some form of payment, cash, credit card, whatever it may, Apple Pay, and then you get your concessions from the concession worker. If you're in the clear, if you've registered in the clear system and opted into this program, we we know your date of birth, uh, and we can also link a credit card to your account. So you could walk up, order two beers, put your fingerprints down, and within a second, we know Joe, Joe's over 21, Joe has a credit card on file, charged, and you get served your beers and walk away, right? And so that, again, is built off of those core tenants that we talked about of speed and security or safety um, behind the transaction. So now you could, in the very near future, you'll be able to walk into a stadium, validate your ticket, validate that you can use the clear lane for access, and then make payments for concessions and age validation all without taking anything out of your pocket. And so that's the really short-term vision of what we're going to be rolling out here, um, again, probably by August and September at this point. And um, and that data still resides with you because it was interesting. One of the things, just going back to Bill Squires one more time, was he yep. talked about the speed of concessions and how that works, but also with the ticketing. Yep. And the problem that teams have is I'm a season ticket holder. I have four tickets. I'm giving those tickets to somebody else, the physical tickets. They're being scanned, and, and the teams don't know it's me or if I pass it off to other yep. people. So they can't – number one, they can't track as well, obviously, but they also can't kind of – no consumer habits as well as they possibly could. So once you opt in, is there a place for those two immediate things that are coming out where teams would get data or is it still kind of this closed system? Yeah. So right, I mean, right now um, <clears throat> we're talking through that with the teams and we would never do anything without someone specifically opting into it. Um, right. Meaning like the, the end user. And so that's, you know, something we take very seriously. We want to make sure if we are go down that path of, um, you know, sharing the data, it's purely in the vein of improving the, the guest experience, right? So that's just, that's a, we want to make sure we take that very seriously and have those deep discussions and make sure everybody's on the same page. And then obviously it's all about the fan opting into that and if they want to, to, to do that or not. But, you know, the thought is even if, um, you know, even if you don't do that, what we do share today is more aggregate or cohort level data. So you can see, you know, the number of people that come in on a given night, you could see demographics against that that group of people, and then you could actually obviously match that up with, you know, ticket um, where they're seated, and then as well as uh, a purchase history, right? So you could start to even create forget the individual level. If we don't go there, you could still create some really interesting data profiles on an aggregate or, or cohort level. Mm-hmm. So having gone through this, like I said, at two stadia and having a really good user experience. The question, I guess, it begs to differ is why only 14 at this point? Is it just technology? Is it yeah. the physical location? What, what would be the reason for why other teams wouldn't have it at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, we're still in the early stages of um, of a couple of things. I mean, one, just biometrics in general. Um, we To date, you know, we haven't rolled out the ticketing or the concession platforms yet. Those are, like I said, coming very shortly. And so, you know, we just hit, you know, we're still in that education process in the in the marketplace. You know, we had been up to seven teams last year, and now we're going to over double that within a year. So you're starting to see, you know, the growth rate pick up as people start to see, okay, uh, the Yankees have done it, the Rockies have done it, the Braves have done it at their new stadium down in, in Atlanta. They start to hear more of the stories, and I think it's pretty, you know, similar. When I was at when I was at New Lion. We were, we were getting into the mobile space for mobile apps and mobile streaming, right? And at the time, a lot of people were like, well, I don't really need a mobile app. I can just do a mobile website or something along those lines because they didn't, you know, really understand the, the differences of what they could do with all of it. But as more of the case studies started to come out and more people start to adopt it, then obviously if you don't have a mobile app today, then you're pretty crazy, right? So um, hmm. it's it's really, I think we're just in that education and early adoption phase. And the more partners we get, and then the more touch points that we can we can uh, roll out there for the public to use, and then obviously getting the positive fan experience in return. I mean that's obviously key to it. We'll just continue to increase our um, adoption rate amongst the le- the teams and the leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on was cost. Is it an annual enrollment system? How does that work? Is it will it be tiered going forward? Yep, that's a good question. So the way it works is it's clear today is basically a two-tiered system. Um, the top level is a premium, if you want to call it paid level, and that's what's required if you want to use it at the airports. Uh, as part of that airport membership, you also get all the sports stadiums included as well. If you just wanted to use it at the the sports venues, that's free to the consumer. So if you walk up to Yankee Stadium, City Field today, and you want to enroll in clear, it is completely free to the user. If you then wanted to use it at an airport at some point in the future, you would have to upgrade and pay. And what we usually do is pass along some sort of um, cost benefit to the consumer if they came through one of our sports partners. But it's 100% mm-hmm. free if you just want to use it at the sports venues. Um, and then if you want to use it at the airport, it's paid. So right, it's it's a freemium model is probably the, the easiest way to describe it. Got it. And what's been the reaction from the team so far? Uh, the reaction has been fantastic. I mean, it's, it's the team's really uh, – believe in what we're doing and the folks that we've been signing up are are true believers in the long-term vision. I think you'll start to see now, you know, a lot of the new partners we got this year were, you know, a lot of it was off of referrals from our early partners. Um, You know, obviously the the sports industry and then the sports stadium and operations communities are obviously small tight-knit communities and a lot of people talk, right? Both good and bad. And so the, the fact that we've had good experiences with these folks has really helped grow um, our, our, our partnerships today. Uh, and then the folks that we're partnering with are, are those that are really invested in not only just having clear lanes outside, but also what else can we do with this? Is it the ticketing? Is it concessions? We're starting to talk to um, folks even about internal access, you know, within the stadium. So say you're seated in the suite, can you walk into the suite just by a biometric scan versus um, having to show your ticket? Or could you mm-hmm. use it uh, on back of the house for employee uh, access and badging. So there's a whole host of ways that we can use this. Uh, and it's really exciting as you start to see people kind of get into it and get more comfortable with it, generate new ideas about how we'll be able to um, deploy this going forward. And, and the business deals that you're able to cut, is it um, 
teams pay you? Is it is it um, something that you're creating with them? And then the other part of that is, I would imagine if it's with a stadium or an arena, it's kind of ubiquitous. So you could use it for concerts. You can use it for whatever's going on in the building at that time. Correct? Yeah, that, that's so. Yeah, all our deals, um, we'll do any event that they're doing at at the the stadium uh, or the arena. So if it's you know if it's a baseball game, if it's a if it's a baseball, so like Yankee Stadium obviously has NYCFC as well. So we'll do Yankees games and NYCFC. We've done the Pinstripe Bowl there uh, in the past. We'll do concerts. Um, some of the concerts and some of those other you know non-core events to the venue sometimes are one-off decisions depending on how it's set up or you know how the event's being ticketed. But for the most part, uh, we will do any event that's at a stadium where we think there's a need. Obviously, some of the smaller ones might not make sense, but any of those larger events. Um, we'll do so if like this coming up uh, in about three or four weeks we're partnering with the Mariners and they're having Pearl Jam out at Safeco Field so we'll be there for that event got it and what's what's been the biggest kind of barrier to entry is it just education yeah I mean it's it's definitely been the education point Um, people you know anytime something's new people are sometimes a little hesitant about it and some people want to dive in early and be the early adopters right and those are some of the folks we've we've signed on already. Some folks want to take a wait and see approach. And I think a lot of people are comfortable being second or, or third in some cases, just to let the other folks kind of get the learnings. And so as that education, the more partners we get out there, the more um, use cases we have, the more that fans are talking about it, honestly. Um, that's been one of the big drivers on the airport side that's, that's driven our growth is, you know, consumers are starting to, to talk about us a lot, whether it be on social media or other, um, other platforms that drives a lot of the growth because it's not, you know, us telling people how great it is or what you can do with it. It's other users. Right. And so that's really helped to, to drive us up to our um, current level of membership. And, and you haven't done a lot of, I would say a lot of it's either team related or uh, digital social or word of mouth, because it's not like you see clear billboards all over, you know, Manhattan or New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Yeah. correct? Yeah, no, we've really, I mean, you know, obviously we were, the company's eight years old um, and, you know, we're starting to really hit our, our larger growth stage right now, but especially early on, uh, and this, you know, this could change in the near future, but especially early on, our whole marketing strategy was really to take advantage of the footprints that we had, um, whether it was in airports or stadiums and really try to, you know, use some of those direct response marketing elements that we could to drive people drive the education and drive people to interact and enroll with us in person. So that, that has been one of the, the challenges is that up, up to this point, you have had to enroll in person in the, whether it be the airport or uh, a sports stadium, we're getting ready to roll something out, um, you know, probably like early next year, which would be mobile enrollment. And that, that will allow people to actually enroll uh, for clear on their phone uh, through an app. And we think that's going to be a big um, driver and a big catalyst to just growth and overall adoption rates because, you know, people are used to doing everything on their phone these days. And so having to go do something in person has been somewhat of a challenge and a little bit of a barrier to entry for some uh, consumers. And so as we, you know, as we roll out this new technology and the the technology gets better and more secure to do those enrollments uh, without someone sitting there watching them, um, that's going to just drive the overall adoption uh, and, and usage of the platform. Plus, as we add all these other touch points, you know, as people, when people only have, you know, one use for it, and that's entry today, 
and in the in the near future they'll have three, four, five different use cases for clear. That's obviously going to help drive you know the the need for it and the people's you know people want to use it. Right. And then the last business question before we get to the two questions we like to ask everyone is, yeah. uh, what what is the genesis of the technology? The founders of the company came from where to come up with this idea? Yes. Yeah, so, so actually, the so, uh, the two the two owners of the company, Karen Simon Becker and Ken Corner, and they actually came from. Uh, the private equity finance world. They, there was an earlier version of Clear that was started by um, a journalist, Stephen Brill, and it actually went bankrupt after about two and a half years or so. Ken and Karen uh, saw a big opportunity, and, and the previous version of Clear was only at the airports. Uh, it was actually a card-based system, so it wasn't really about biometrics. So you actually had to insert a card into a machine to verify that it was that you were Joe, uh, and this was actually before pre-check was even around. Uh, the company just didn't do well, went bankrupt, and Ken and Karen saw an opportunity to come in and purchase that, and really they saw the – they didn't see us as an airport company or a security company. They saw the power behind a validated identity network. And so when they bought it um, out of bankruptcy, they fo- focused on the airport business and building that back up, but also – getting off the cards, moving to biometrics just from the ease of use and the security safety side of things, uh, and then adding on these other verticals that we talked about. So that was really the, the genesis. They, they purchased it out of bankruptcy and then have built it up uh, out of the airports to what, what we are today. Great. And then uh, the two questions we ask everybody, Ed, are how do you stay up to date with everything that's going on? And especially yep. in an emerging technology like this, for young people trying to get involved, you know, uh, what advice do you give them to try and get involved in, whether it's in sports or technology or security? Sure. Yeah, so in terms of staying up to date, I mean, I think my answer is pretty similar to one that Bill had given when he was on the podcast uh, a week or two ago. It's, you know, Sports Business Journal, um, Sports Techie, you know, a lot of the the industry uh, publications obviously listen to podcasts such as yours. Um, and then even some of the other just, you know, more technology-focused, TechCrunch, um, even like Business Insiders started to do some pretty um, good content around um, sports and sports technology. So just trying to stay up to date on all of those. And, and honestly, the other part is it's more maybe a little old school, but it's just getting out there and talking to people and asking them what they're hearing, what they're seeing. Because I think, you know, in, our, in this industry especially, everyone is – pretty good at sharing best practices and also, you know, what are the emerging trends. And so like I was at a conference, the NCS4 um, conference down in Louisville earlier this week, just getting out there and talking to people or even calling up on the phone and asking them what they're hearing, what they're seeing, and then what they think about it, right? Because oh, these folks are the, the folks at the venue. They're the ones running the security, running the operations, running the concessions, whatever it may be. And so they've tested some of the stuff you're reading about. And, and, you know, sometimes what you read might not be 100% accurate. And so actually reaching out to them, talking to them, and and figuring out how this stuff's actually working, the good and the bad of it, um, is another way that, you know, I try to stay up on uh, what's going on out there. Uh, Second question is in terms of, like, how would people get into this industry? You know, I I think part of it is, especially for, you know, we actually just hired – he started yesterday. We hired a kid who had worked at uh, Scout Media um, for someone mm-hmm. who works here pre- in the previous as an intern. He just graduated from Penn. Um, and we kind of talked through this with him. But I think, number one, you know, if, if sports is a passion for you or you're just generally interested in the business side of things, 
um, really just having an understanding and trying to do your research, figure out where good opportunities to start are. And, and honestly, like you're not going to find that perfect opportunity. Like sports is, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to start, but sometimes you might just start a job that you think might not be your ideal job. And you really need to look at it as like, how do you create that story for yourself? If I can do, I'm making up 10 good things here. Can I turn that into something better to then move along to my next, um, you know, path in my, or my next step in my career. And, mm-hmm. you know, not getting hung up on that ideal job coming out of college. I think a lot of people think that's how it is and really just having, you know, a few key components that you can check off your list. So you, you feel satisfied and you obviously want to enjoy what you do and feel like you're adding value. Um, but then how do you turn that into the next opportunity, which could be at your current company or, um, you know, it could be something outside of it, but there's, there's a lot of opportunity in sports, but you might have to, uh, you know, start on some jobs that are maybe a little lower than you, than you want, than you might want to coming out of school. Great. And then lastly, of course, is how do people find out more information about Clear? How do they follow you? Um, you know, how do they get smart on this technology, which is obviously emerging? Yeah. Um, so the number one is you can visit our website. It's clearme.com. Uh, that will have all the information for everybody. Um, I'm happy to talk to anybody that we want to reach out about anything, whether it's just interest in the space, um, partnering, my email address is ed.obrien at clearme.com. Uh, and the best way to try it is honestly just go to one of our, one of our ballparks or one of the airports and test it out. I mean, like I said, it's free at the ballpark. Um, mm-hmm. You can start your airport membership. Even if you don't want to pay, you can start with a, a one month free trial. If you go and, and sign up, and just test it out and try it. Because I think that's the biggest thing we can tell anybody is that, you know, if you're unsure, um, you have some concerns or reservations, go test it out, see the experience, see how it actually works. And 99% of the time, those people come back saying they, they had a great experience and they want to talk more about, you know, what, what, what they can do with Clear. So that, that would be my number one recommendation is go try it for yourself. Cool. And as um, Tom Richardson always says, the user experience right now is probably the most important thing, and you guys have a tremendous user experience. So congratulations. No, no, thank you, and I appreciate you having me on. It was uh, really enjoyable. Cool. Well, once again, we've been talking to Ed O'Brien, the head of Sports for Clear. Uh, Ed, thanks for joining us. And uh, this is Joe Favorito. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Uh, I'm going solo this week, as you've heard. Uh, With Tom Richardson still away on vacation, thanks for listening in, and we'll see you down the road.